Hey, fellow Mathers, before we get into this episode, we want to share with you how you can get access to free content, professional learning that will keep your students engaged and doing the math that matters. Get ready to go to this link, mathisfigureoutable.com slash challenge. That's right. Registration is open for the free Math is Figure Outable challenge that's starting May 15th and runs to the 17th at 7 p.m. Central. We're going to have three nights jam-packed with learning and routines that you can take straight to your classroom. In these challenges, we have a great time. We do some math, talk about classroom experiences, give away super cool bonuses and prizes. You won't just walk away with routines that are naturally engaging and encourage your students to think mathematically. You'll also have a chance to win over 6 k worth in prizes, including a few virtual PD sessions for your school. I'll be joined by my wonderful co-host, Kim, and special guest, Jenna Labe. You can register at mathisfigureoutable.com slash challenge for a fantastic learning experience. That's mathisfigureoutable.com slash challenge. Now on to the show. Hey, fellow mathematicians, welcome to the podcast where math is figureoutable. I'm Pam. And I'm Kim. And we make the case that mathematizing is not about mimicking steps or rote memorizing facts, but it's about thinking and reasoning, about creating and using mental relationships. Y'all, we take the strong stance that not only are algorithms not particularly helpful in teaching, but that mimicking algorithms actually keeps students from being the mathematicians they can be. We answer the question, if not algorithms and step-by-step procedures, then what? So last week, we revisited the development of mathematical reasoning, which we had... (laughs) In a little bit of a less precise way. (laughs) I misspoke several times. Kim Kim saved me. Anyway, sorry, Kim, keep going. It's all good. (laughs) So we we tackled that a little bit in episodes five and six, and we decided to have a, a revisit. And so you got to add on a couple of things that you felt like were really important to share. And we did a couple of examples of counting and additive thinking Um, for some different problems. And we talked a lot about how we could be solving an addition problem, but if students are actually using counting to solve it, Mm -hmm. then even though they're solving an addition problem, they're thinking in the level, they're using reasoning in the level before, in the less sophisticated level. And we don't want that. Like we, we have to accept where kids are, but then we want to move them on. We want to help them develop as more and more sophisticated reasoners using additive reasoning. So like you said, we gave some examples of how we could give an addition problem or a subtraction problem. Both of those live in additive reasoning or should, and how kids might solve them using additive reasoning, or they might be solving them using less sophisticated counting strategies mm-hmm. and how, how we can sort of differentiate between those two. Well, today I want to talk about an outcome of that. So often in our education system, we, we say to kids, here are some problems, solve these problems, and we give them single digit addition and subtraction problems, lower number uh, addition and subtraction. And then once kids get answers, we kind of move on. We say, all right, now, yeah, you've got that. We're going to teach you how to We're going to teach you how to add and subtract bigger numbers. And all too often in our education system, when we do that, okay, it's about bigger numbers. Then we sort of force a step-by-step procedure. We Mm -hmm. force an algorithm and we say, okay, here's what addition of bigger numbers means. And that's a fallacy. It's not what it means. It's, It's a way to find answers 
using a step-by-step -step procedure that could solve any problem in the class. We call those algorithms. They're, they are step-by-step -step procedures that I could give you any numbers and you could follow those procedures to find the answers. Computers need those algorithms. Humans do not, but all too often in our education system, we say, all right, line those numbers up. And so if I give you a, a random problem like 36 plus 99, mm -hmm. y'all, if you're listening to the podcast, you might just scribble that number down. Just scribble the problem 36 plus 99 down. And, and line them up like we t traditionally do when we give kids um, those bigger number addition problems. And and then we typically in American, in American or in lots of education, we typically say to kids, okay, you're supposed to add 36 and 99, but now don't think about 36 and 99 anymore. Now I want you to focus just on the digits, just on the ones. I just want you to focus on the six and the nine. And in that first step of the algorithm, we actually work against kids' intuition. We mm -hmm. work against average intuition because kids are at that point thinking about 36 and 99. They're, they're grappling with what those numbers mean. They've counted to those numbers probably at this point, but they don't really have a vast network of connections about them. They're starting to think about 36 as 30 and six, maybe as four away from 40. They might be thinking about like it's it's not 20 but it's 30 and then it's in be sort of in between 30 and 40 a little bit further than 35 like they, they they they're developing kind of a network of connections about what 36 means similarly for 99 they might be thinking about 90 and 9 or ooh it's almost 99 100 it's almost 100 they might be thinking about those in that algorithm step by step procedure when we say okay don't think about the big numbers anymore just focus on the 6 and the 9 you could conceivably have a kid go, whoa, that feels weird. I'm thinking about 30 and 90, not six and nine. Okay. Okay. Wow. I guess, I guess I'm not a math person because I'm not, uh, it's not my intuition. It's not my gut instinct to think about those small numbers. That's weird. Okay. All right. I'll do what my teacher tells me to do. I, I guess I'm not a math person. I guess in this moment, I'm, I'm proving to myself I'm not a math person because that wasn't my first inclination. Darn. Okay. All right. I'll do what my teacher says. Y'all, we want to avoid those moments at all costs. The moments where we say to kids inadvertently, and nobody, of course, is doing it intentionally, but those moments where unintentionally we say to kids, you're not a math person, just do what I say, don't right. do what your natural inclination right. is. So let's keep going. So we want to avoid those moments, but notice if I'm doing the algorithm, I'm stuck there in that moment. Now, could you agree with me that a kid could say, I'm supposed to add six plus nine. That's what my teacher just told me to do. That's the first step. Six plus nine. Could a kid go six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, and count all the way up to 15 and put down the five and carry the one over into the next column? Could you agree with me that they are now looking like they're an additive reasoner, but notice that that kid was just counting. Now, that kid to add six plus nine might have thought about nine, 10, 11, 12. 15. They might have started with a bigger number. Okay, we prefer that. That's a better counting strategy. Better meaning it's more sophisticated. I'm, I'm thinking about adding on for or counting on from the larger. That's great. But I'm still using a counting strategy. If I'm following that step-by-step -step procedure, now I'm over in the tens column, then I might think about, okay, now I have a one, a three, and a nine. I've got to add those together. It's so important. How does that kid now add that carried one, that, uh, that carried from over, that, that regrouped one, which really represents a 10. Now, as they're thinking about that one, three, and nine, how do they do that? Could you agree with me that a kid could conceivably count again? 
they could be like, okay, nine, 10, 11, 12. Like they could add those together. They could, or excuse me, count those one by one, get that correct answer, write it down. And now we think, oh, good. Now that you've written that down, you've got those two numbers. If I add, by the way, that's 13. So if I add those together, now I've got one, three next to that five I wrote down earlier. And so I'm saying to myself, okay, that's 135. And the kid writes that down and we're like, yay, you're an additive reasoner because they got the answer to an addition problem. Correct. So we, we like, yay, you're an additive reasoner. When in reality, that kid was thinking using counting strategies mm-hmm. the whole time. Mm-hmm. And if we were doing this live right now, I would draw a frowny face on the board. <laughs> because too often we focus on the fact that the kid got that answer correct. Right. So we're like, good job. You're thinking additively because they got an addition answer correct. But how were they doing it? If they were doing the algorithm, they may have been using counting strategies, not sophisticated enough. And what we would suggest, Kim, is that in this moment, if a kid is using those counting strategies, we need to do some more work with smaller numbers to get that kid thinking additively with smaller numbers before we maybe move on to try to get them to think additively with bigger numbers. Now, you might be thinking, Pam, Kim. My kids are doing the algorithm, but when they do it, they're not using counting by one strategies. They're using additive reasoning. So again, back to our 36 plus 99, they might be looking at that six plus nine. My kids, Pam, my kids are thinking about six plus nine as, mm, let's see, I could do six plus 10. That's 16. I'll just back up one to get 15. Or they might be thinking about, mm, I could think about six plus nine as nine plus six. And I can go from nine to 10. I can get to that friendly 10. Nine to 10 is one. I've got five left over. 10 and five is 15. Pam, they're thinking additively while they're doing the algorithm. Okay. Okay. I could agree with you. I could, I could uh, submit that you could be correct that your kids are thinking additively as they're doing the traditional algorithms. However, how big of numbers will that student ever think about additively if they are doing the traditional algorithm? So think about the algorithm. Even if I have a long number, lots of digits added to another long number, lots of digits. Every time I'm thinking about columns of digits, columns of single digits, the biggest I'll ever be able to think additively about those numbers is with those single digits. Right. And what we're suggesting is that's not big enough. It's not sophisticated enough. It's not enough work in getting kids thinking additively about those big numbers. Now, somebody's probably thinking, but Pam, you can't think additively about numbers like 36 and 99. You have to line those up. Like you have to line those up and then add the columns because you can't think additively about 36 and 99. Or can you? (laughs) Now, if you've listened to the podcast at all, you've heard us do this problem or one like it lots because we wanted to to sort of um, exemplify additive reasoning. But Kim, I'm just going to ask you, how would you add... 36 and 99. What's one additive way of 30 of adding 36 plus 99? Um, 36 plus 99. I would add 36 plus 100, which would be 136, but I added one too much. So then I'm going to remove one at the end to get 195. 100. I'm sorry, 135. <laughs> Sweet. It's catchy. I'm not the only one that misspeaks. That's hilarious. <laughs> Okay. So Kim is an over strategy girl. And I had a feeling that that's what she was going to do. So I'm glad I asked her. So she's like, I'm going to add 36 plus too much and then back up. Totally, totally cool. 
Could you also do a little give and take? If I've got 36 sure. plus 99, I could think about, well, 99 is almost 100. So I could add just 100 plus what's left over, 35. 135 is 135, Kim, not 195. <laughs> okay, cool. So those would be some additive ways of thinking about bigger numbers. And we need students to think about bigger numbers additively, not, not using counting strategies. All right, so we thought we'd spend some time on this podcast thinking um, or exemplifying how that can happen with multiplication as well. Mm -hmm. If multiplicative reasoning is more advanced, more sophisticated, I'm grappling with more and more things simultaneously, multiplicative reasoning, than I am in additive reasoning. How do we build that multiplicative reasoning? What, What does it look like to solve a multiplication problem using multiplicative reasoning? And what does it look like to solve a multiplication problem using less sophisticated additive reasoning or less sophisticated counting strategies. Is that even a thing? So here's an example. Multiplication problem. Let's say I'm baking cupcakes and I know that I want to give three cupcakes for the four people I'm baking cupcakes for. I've got four people. Each of them need three cupcakes. How many cupcakes do we need? Could you picture a kindergarten kid Solving that problem. Kim, what might we see a kindergarten kid do to solve that problem? So a kindergartner might say, um, okay, I have four people. So they might draw four circles or four people even. Mm-hmm. And they might deal one, two, three to the first person, one, two, three to the second person, one, two, three for the third person, one, two, got three, three for the fourth person, right? And then go back and count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 12 and end with 12 cupcakes. Bam. They just solved a multiplication problem. They must be reasoning multiplicatively Hmm. or, (laughs) or were they just using counting strategies to solve that problem? So young students can solve multiplication problems using counting strategies. That's great for a kindergartner. When we get to third grade and fourth grade, we need to start nudging them to, well, third grade, we need to start nudging them to multiplicative or additive reasoning for sure, like repeated addition and then multiplicative reasoning. I may have just given away what I wanted to do next just a little bit. Kim, what would it look like for a student to solve that problem? Not you just exemplified counting. What if they were using additive reasoning to solve that cupcake problem? So additive reasoning uh, is going to look like skip counting. And so they might say three for the first person and then six, nine, 12. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're sort of adding three every time and they're able to do that using additive reasoning and they've solved a multiplication problem additively. Right. That's super for a kindergarten and first grade kid. Woo! I'd even be okay with that a second grade student. Although I'd kind of maybe help them. I I, I would hope some of them were thinking about three, six. That's two people. They could double that to get four people. Those are some some sort of uh, interim strategies that Mm -hmm. are kind of half half additive, half multiplicative. But by the time we get to where we want kids to be thinking multiplicatively, we need kids thinking multiplicatively about those three cupcakes for four people. What would that look like? So if they don't know three times four is 12, um, a multiplicative thinker might think of, um, I know three threes is nine and another three is 12. They might think about two threes is six, double that to get four threes is 12. If they happen to know something crazy like, no, that's not a good example. 
Oh, if they happen to know five threes is 15, then four threes would be 12. Cool. So depending on what they know, if they right. can sort of reason from there, then that, then we would hope that that would be an example of multiplicative reasoning. So let's think about division because division lives in multiplicative reasoning. Can, can we have a division problem that kids could solve at all, all of the different levels? Again, with our emphasis on let them start where they are, but then we want to help them progress to think more and more sophisticatedly. So let's say random division problem. What if I said 36 divided by nine? Why don't you, why don't you give us a counting strategy for this? Okay. Okay. I'll do this one. 36 divided by nine. We actually interviewed a student not too long ago with 36 divided by nine and the student drew nine circles on her paper. Mm -hmm. She said, okay, we got nine circles and I need to divvy out and deal out 36. And so in each of the circles, she drew like one tick mark. So one, and then she like one in each of the nine circles, two in each of the nine, like she's literally drawing tally marks. So now each circle has two tally marks. And as she's doing that, she's counting. So she's like, I've got nine and then 10, 11, 12. And she did, did it all. Now I've got 18. And then she keeps dealing out. Now I've got 27. And then she keeps dealing out. And now I've got 36. And then she said, okay, I've dealt out all 36 because she counted each of those tally marks. I've dealt out all 36. Then she looked back at each of the circles and each of the circles had four tally marks mm-hmm. in it. Mm-hmm. And almost as if it's a surprise at that point, she's like, ah, yeah. four, four, yep. four, 36 divided by nine is four. Woo, who knew? Yeah. That would be a counting strategy right. for the, a division, a multiplicative problem by nature, but using a counting by one strategy. We've also seen kids where they're bigger numbers when they've done that, that they don't actually, when they see the four in there, they actually then have to count. Oh, and she didn't have to count the four because she could just recognize she subitized those four. But if, if a quotient is a bigger number, then th- they might have to actually count what's left in that circle right. even one more time where they're right. sort of counting. Okay. Right. So 36 divided by nine, Kim, what would be an additive strategy for 36 divided by nine? So additive, they, they might be thinking about 36 subtract nine. Mm-hmm. to get 27, subtract nine to get 18, or or maybe skip counting nine. If they skip count by uh, nines well, they might say nine, 18, 27, 36. And then the number of counts would be their quotient. Mm-hmm. So either the number of subtractions mm-hmm. or the number of sort of mm-hmm. skip count up, those would be additive reasoning ways of solving right. that division problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally cool. Okay, so then what would a multiplicative reason like? How do we how do we hope kids think about thirty six divided by nine? Okay, I want to go first. Go okay. First. <laughs> so so y'all, we hope students for both the multiplication and the division problem. So I don't know if you heard when when I asked him the three times four cupcake problem, the very first thing she said is, "Well, if a student doesn't just know." four times three, then we would hope they would think multiplicatively this way. Well, I would say the similar thing for division. If a student doesn't just know 36 divided by nine is four or doesn't just know, well, let's say I'm dealing with nines. What do I know about nines? Oh, well, I know nine times four is 36. Therefore, 36 divided by nine is four. We would kind of hope that eventually we get there. That's, That's like our ideal. But we can also reason if we don't know that. And, and we need this reasoning for all of the myriad facts that we don't just know. So, of course, we hope kids know 36 divided by 9. 
But boy, there's a lot of vision problems that no one's going to just know that we sure. need to be able to think similarly about. So what would be a multiplicative reasoning way? I, I did one, Kim. You have to do okay. <laughs> um, so, so I know that a lot of kids can think about 18 divided by 2 or 18, 18 divided, divided by, by 9. nine sorry, mm-hmm. it's 2. 18 divided by 9 is 2. So knowing that, they can also think about that twice. So 18 divided by 9 twice would be 36 divided by 9. So their answer would be 4. So kind of like if I'm thinking about, I know that nine times two is 18. Mm-hmm. If I know that and I double the 18 to get 36, mm-hmm. then it's going to have to be nine times four is 36. And I can use that reasoning about multiplication to think about division. You kind of said it in a more division way, which is totally cool. But I could also think about it in a more multiplicative way or multiplication way um, to find that, that division problem. So this is helpful to parse out the difference between counting, additive, multiplicative thinking. But mm-hmm. but I also don't want to leave today without a little bit of application. So how can teachers help their students if they're stuck in counting or additive and they want them to be in multiplicative thinking? Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about that. Because our big upshot is how do we help students progress? Right. Like let's acknowledge where they are. That, that's, that's an, it, it is a necessary starting point. We need kids to solve the problems the way they naturally do it. But then we can't, we can't rest on our laurels. We can't stay there. We have to help them progress. So uh, in a little bit of time that we have to finish out, let's mention a few things. So what we are not suggesting, not suggesting is traditional review. Right. Traditional review where we say to kids, you should have learned this already. And so oh, we're going to yes. go and, and we do the same thing that has done, been done before. Go memorize your multiplication tables, like whatever it is that hasn't worked in the past. If we try to redo that, uh, it doesn't work. Like redoing stuff that has, that didn't work in the past is not now going to magically work this right. time. Right. So we, we're not recommending traditional review. We do recommend that we acknowledge where they are. We know our, our kids that that's the, uh, of our mantra, know your content, know your kids. You got to know your kids. So you got to figure out where they are in the landscape and then know your content means how do we then expose them and help them construct the more sophisticated things? Well, that's why we love problem strings because problem strings are all about multiple access problems, problems that give uh, all kids multiply, all kids multiply. They give all kids access. No matter where the kids are, we give them access to the problem. They can solve it using what they know. But then in the share, we expose them to more sophisticated strategies. We help them connect what they were doing to something that's more sophisticated, that's that's higher in that level of, of reasoning, that it's using something more and more simultaneous. So, so we give them a problem, students solve it however they can. Then we ask uh, certain strategies to be shared and we say, how did you, how were you thinking about that? We help connect less sophisticated strategies to more sophisticated strategies. And then so important, next problem. And the next problem is a chance for that student to then say, Ooh, what, how can I use what I just was exposed to? How can I use that on this next problem? And that is the process of construction where they get a chance to go, I'm going to grapple with these relationships using what I just sort of experienced, using these things that are pinging in my head from the problem before. I'm going to now attempt to do that in the next problem. And then beautifully, we share strategies and students can, oh, yeah, that's how I could have. Even if they weren't successful in that next problem, but they were grappling with it, they now get a chance to go, oh, like that. Oh, and then the teacher expertly helps connect strategies. 
And then brilliantly, the next problem. So you might have heard, oh, so let's go do problem talks. Let's just go do number talks because then they'll see what other, everybody else is doing. It's not enough to just see and experience once what someone else is doing. Right. We need that next purposely planned problem for the chance to grapple with trying it. And then we need that next purposely planned problem with the chance to grapple with trying it. Then we need that next purposely planned problem. Now, now by maybe we're grappling well with it. We're using it well. Now we get a chance to, oh, oh, wait, that next purposely planned problem gives us a, a, a different way of applying it. Or maybe it's a pushback problem where that strategy doesn't work so well. Like, like problem strings are designed on purpose to give us those opportunities to construct those relationships in kids' heads. That is a huge way can be your go-to strategy teachers to help students progress from where they are to that next more sophisticated thinking. Absolutely. So Pam, one more thing before we go, we got the chance to interview a lot of students recently, right? Lots of kids. So brilliant. To do this, this special project. Tell us about that a little bit. I'm so glad that the REL Southeast, the Regional Education Laboratory Southeast at Florida State University, asked us to do a project where we created some professional learning um, around the development of mathematical reasoning, and then we created these infographics. We created one-page infographics to really exemplify and make it visual each of these levels of, or these domains of reasoning. Um, and they're, they've just come out. We're so excited. They're totally free. You can um, absolutely download them. And, and the most exciting part of all of it, that we have this graphical, we're making the, the thinking visible, but also we put in these videos of yeah. real students um, solving real problems yeah. where you can see exemplified kind of what we just tried to do in this podcast and the podcast, the last episode where you actually get to see a student solving a multiplication problem using counting strategies, using right. additive reasoning or using multiplicative reasoning. You get to see it in action as we um, interviewed all these students. And then we studied how they solved particular problems and then we sort of sorted them out and we gave you this really um, experiential uh, way of learning more and more about these different levels of reasonings. Now, in the last episode and in this episode, we only got to counting strategies, additive reasoning, and multiplicative reasoning. Y'all, we exemplify proportional reasoning. You can see real students solving proportional reasoning problems using proportional reasoning, or maybe using multiplicative reasoning, or maybe using uh, additive reasoning. Same with uh, functional reasoning. Uh, secondary teachers, if you're like, Pam, explain better, like more, I need to see functional reasoning in action. Right. Bam! We've got it for you. Check out these wonderful resources. I'm so glad, again, that they asked us to create them. Um, Kim, tell us about where they can get them. Oh, yeah. So you can check out um, the blog at mathisfigureoutable.com and click on Learn Now and you'll find the blog. And then um, if you want the direct link, you can just check out the show notes here. Yeah, absolutely. So download those infographics. You can watch the videos of those kids. Um, You're going to love learning more and more about developing mathematical reasoning. So if you want to learn more mathematics and refine your math teaching so that you and students are mathematizing more and more, then join the Math is Figure Outable movement and help us spread the word that math is figure outable. <laughs> Thank you for listening and making math more figure outable. To learn even more, make sure you register for our free challenge at mathisfigureoutable.com slash challenge. You are not going to want to miss the evenings of May 15th through 17th, starting at 7 p.m. Central.
math teaching, math teaching, go register now. That's mathisforgottable.com slash challenge. Join us to make math more and more figure outable. And if you can't join live, register and we'll send you access to the recordings. We'll see you there.